Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. All right. Welcome, superheroes. We are here today with Rob Kandel who is the author of a new book out called Unhidden, a a book for men and those who are confused by them. I love that subtitle. Rob started in 2004, he started an organization called One Taste, which he'll tell us about, which I had never even heard about. I feel like I was living under a rock, Rob. Welcome, Rob. Thank thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And okay, now I'm going to finish introducing you, but welcome. Um, so yeah, you started to, in 2004, you started One Taste, and then you moved away from there several years later to, to, to start a new organization furthering this work that you do, which I love, um, Living Unhidden. Mm-hmm. And you also have a podcast called Tough Love, that's spelled T-U-F-F, love. And the bottom line is that you're doing really great superhero of love work out there by ripping off the veils to intimacy and those mm. those blocks that we have to intimacy. So, yay! Thank you for doing all the superhero of love work that you're doing out there, Rob. My pleasure, and thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Okay, so so the book that I wrote called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and Then Go Save the World. So that book <laughs> was inspired by a bad breakup that I had. And that bad breakup, which hit me, you know, after many, many decades, not many, Mm. many decades, I'm not 80, but many, many years of doing personal growth work. And I Mm. was like leveled by it. Like, are you serious? Mm. I'm in my late forties and this is where, you know, this is where I'm at. And when I had to uncover, I'm just, I'm not going to tell you the whole book. I'm so sorry, but this has to do with you and and your work. So that's why I'm, I'm giving you this little lead in, but you, but what I realized is that I was with a liar. I found out mm. an avalanche of lies came tumbling down and I was like, mm. oh my God, he's been lying the whole time. And I realized, oh, look, you have problems with intimacy. Mm. You, he didn't want you to see his ugly little bits and mm. you didn't want him to see your ugly little bits. So it was a mm-hmm. perfect relationship. So I wish that I had read um, unhidden, a book for men, and those are who are confused by them before that relationship. It probably would have saved me a lot of pain. You're, you're taking the sting out of intimacy. You're taking the pain out of coming together as we truly are. So mm. t- tell us about that work. Well, the first is um, I've gone through my own journey. So, you know, as you know, we, we learn, we teach what we want to learn. Um, I'm still on my journey of uncovering the parts of myself that I am afraid to reveal. My viewpoint is that everyone has this fear underlying that we're going to die alone under a bridge. There's just this <laughs> like destitute, alone, rejected, abandoned, and we do so much to avoid. Everyone has their own version, of course, but maybe it's a superhighway, maybe, you know, in an old whole folks home, whatever. But we have this fear of dying alone. And so what we do is we hide parts of ourselves that we do not deem acceptable 
that will lead to rejection, will lead to abandonment. And you know, for some people, that's very small, but for most, that's a lot. And so what we do is we create facades behind the facades of what we think is acceptable. And so everyone's interacting facade to facade, you know, blocking, not showing some of the most interesting parts of ourselves. So the book is a pragmatic guide, a slow, deliberate, conversational, pragmatic on how to slowly and deliberately pull down your mask, remove the blinders, and start to reveal what's inside to create more intimate situation with those you want to be intimate with. That's so beautiful. I'm so excited. Um, this is really, really amazing work. Let's go back a step and, and tell us, because the first thing that you did was one taste. So tell us about that journey. Tell us about how that led you onto this journey to, to write Unhidden. Before One Taste, uh, it was 1998. I was 28 years old and I went to Burning Man. Burning Man is a festival in the desert that a lot of magical things happen and a lot of people let what's inside out. And I didn't want to go. I really wanted to, you know, I, my wife wanted to go. My first wife, Carol, wanted to go. And I was just like, all right, let's go. But in that experience, I had so many spiritual awakenings. I saw so much of myself. I had so much amazing times to be like, wow, there's this whole other part of me that wants to arise. So Carol and I came back to San Francisco, started taking, intensely taking workshops, the Landmark Forum, a group called the Welcoming Consensus, a group called More <clears throat> around our intimacy, sexuality, and communication, blew my whole life up. You know, that normal guy that walked in at 28 was gone, and this new version of myself came. And then in 2004, started One Taste uh, with my business partner, Nicole Daydone. Took it from a paper napkin sketch to an eight-figure international business by 2015. Uh, left, uh, burnt out, sold my shares, came to Venice Beach, California, and started this last five years of my life, which is building this business, doing a podcast, having a coaching business, and writing this book, which has been near and dear to my heart. Okay, and also creating more intimacy in your own marriage. So when did you get married? How did that evolve? So I, when I left One Taste in 2014, I actually went through a period of dealing with my uh, PTSD from that experience. One uh -huh. Taste was a very intense, very intense experiences with the highest highs and the lowest lows of my life. And some things were highly beneficial. Most things were highly beneficial. And there are things that got stuck. So uh, I made a decision in October of 2014, a year of no commitments. I'm just going to be a solo ranger, you know, wandering the plains, looking for adventure, you know, uh, a, a ronin, a shogun without a master. Like, that was my plan. And then five months later, I met Morgan. And I was like, oh, you're my person. Like, you were, you're my person. And instantly, I was like, okay, you're my person. So we've been together for four and a half years. Um, I, I'm fortunate to co-parent her two daughters from our first marriage. Uh, we got married a year and a half ago. Uh, and it's really been an epic adventure with the most powerful, brilliant, awe-inspiring, challenging woman of my life, which I'm truly grateful for. Oh, it's so beautiful. And how old are the kids? And did you want to have kids? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I think at one point in my life, in my 30s, I was like, oh, I'll be a father someday. But really, in my heart of hearts, I just, I didn't have the pull for it. And uh, at one taste, my 10-year, 10-year one taste, I uh, reparented, you know, acted as a father figure for thousands of students. I taught over 10,000. 
I reparented them, a father figure to help them with their childhood wounds with their own parents. So I was that figure, a lot of people called me dad, you know, Father's Day, people said happy Father's Day to me. It was, I really had the honor of being that role of being a, you know, a, a person to help them through their pain. Right. And then when I met Morgan, I was like, okay, this is a new adventure. I met them when they were four and six. They're now eight and 10 oh. and two girls and they are driving me crazy uh, uh, in many wonderful ways. And I've learned so much such a beautiful expansion and learning to be a stepdad to really two um, powerful beings. Oh, that's so beautiful. So I want to talk, talk about the Me Too movement a little bit and how that is kind of screwed up our, our, our senses of maybe masculinity and femininity and, and also um, um, I think on, 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 in a way, it has affected our our um, the 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 how open we are to intimacy, like having healthy boundaries versus being open. Um, that that's like a sometimes that's a a tightrope that we're walking, and you know, like I'm on the tightrope and I'm really secure, but now you're about to fall off. Uh oh, how do we make you secure? Okay, now I'm insecure. Now you know the that back and forth of. So how do you, how do you, what's your advice for people during this um, tender time for our hearts? Wow. Um, well, first I want to say, I don't think the Me Too was the cause of the challenge between masculine and feminine. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't to be clear. that either. No, I yeah. just I mean that we're kind of at this heightened awareness of it. Yes. And some yes. people are shutting down more. Some people right. are opening up more. I'm just saying it's, a, I feel like it's an opportunity for us all to grow and to, to, to open our hearts, you know, in a Absolutely. way that feels Absolutely. safe. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, me too. I think for me personally, I think it was the most amazing thing. I'm a hundred percent supporter of it. I think in terms of societal experiences, it's going to be one of the most important of my generation. Um, and so if I could take a second. So um, part of the book uh, is the title is called, it's a tough time to be a man. And that drew a lot of flack from a lot of people. Like what, what are you talking about? It's a great time to be a man. Men always are in the power position. Men always have the opportunity, et cetera, et cetera, which is true. And if you look at the history of masculine feminine, uh, let's actually say man and woman for the last 6,000 years, that's when the patriarchy started around 4,000 BCE. So we've been living in a patriarchal society for over 6,000 years. If you look at the recent history, starting 170 years ago with the uh, women's suffrage movement in, in 1848, Seneca Falls, New York, to the uh, 19th Amendment with women with the right to vote in 1920, to World War II where women entered the workforce, and the 1950s and 60s where society was trying to push women back into the kitchen, back into that diminished role. Uh, Betty Friesen, The Feminine Mystique is a great book if you want to learn about that. And yeah. women were like, no. And all of a sudden, the 60s and 70s with the etch-a-sketch of our entire culture and, you know, the balance and really the amazing experience of the 60s and 70s. And then uh, what happened in, in that time is that the educators started to offer more opportunity for girls, women under 18, in school, especially around the areas of, of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so what we've seen is this epic evolution in the last 50 years 
uh, women dominating the school system, uh, men's uh, standard men jobs like construction and manufacturing decreasing, 8 million jobs lost since 2002. Um, the gender pay gap, which was 64 cents a woman to a man's dollar in 1980 is now 93 cents for a millennial white woman entering the workforce in 2012. Wow, I didn't know so that. Thank yeah, you. we're seeing this huge evolution. And so if you 6,000 years of habits and scripts handed from generation, men, grandfathers and fathers handing to their sons uh, is now really changed. Then you have Me Too, which all of a sudden was a huge wake up call for both all genders saying, hey, this isn't going to work anymore. You can lose your career. And I think it, we're in this period of unknown, of chaos, where women are rising in power. Men are pretty much staying the same. And they have the opportunity for the best party of all time with empowered women. But instead, they're kind of shrinking. They're kind of, like you're saying, avoiding intimacy. So from my work is be like, hey, guys, it's time for us to step up to admit where we don't know things, to look at our biases, to look at our habits, to look at our chauvinism, because if you do and you're willing to play and improve, this is the best time in history to be a man. I love that. And, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, how do you bring fun and play into, into your marriage also, into, into, the, into relationships? Well, one is you just declare this is important to me. Mm, that's good, right? Simple. In my book, I have a process for to solving any problem. It's not going to solve any problem. I'm just saying I have a process, a framework <laughs> to go from point A to point B. Uh, the first step of the framework is, is called to um, confront. And what confronting means is you're willing to look at what's happening in your life that's suboptimal, not bad, but suboptimal. Look at your relationship. Uh, wow, we used to talk all the time and now we're on our phones all the time. Uh, or, you know what? Our sex life is diminished and we're not talking about it. Or, um, wow, I'm watching porn way too much or I'm drinking too much. It's, it's a confrontation. It's seeing, it's removing the blinders to pay attention to where your life is suboptimal. Then the next step is to investigate, to research. We live in information-rich time. We have the Google. Go search about it. Then there's a commitment, a commitment of, okay, I'm going to work on my weight. I'm going to work on my porn addiction. I'm going to work on our sex life. I'm going to work on our communication. And then the next step is to build a practice, a deliberate practice. You know, you can create or get a coach or, you know, sign up for a workshop, you know, read your book, you know, like, like you know, get inspiration build that practice, do it for a set amount of time, and then decide to do it again or not. But if you're willing to confront, this is the first step is be okay. like, wow, this isn't the way I thought it was going to be. Now let's do something about it. So that means getting off Netflix, getting off the couch, you know, getting your ass in gear and living life the way you want to live it. And then swing back into the fun because that will open up the fun factor <clears throat> for sure. Um, but yeah, I think fun, just to finish the thought is, fun is when you're in motion. Fun is when you're in your purpose. It's oh, like, it's fun to get out of your status quo, the malaise, the, the, the habits, you know, like if you do the same thing, you're eating the same thing, you're having the same conversations, 
that's boring. The human brain craves uh, novelty, uh, novelty and excitement and newness. So get off. You got to do it, though. It's not going to happen to you. You have to create that and magnetize that into your life. Right. Fun isn't going to come knock on your door and say, hey, come out and play. You have to go right. out and, right? That's great. Go and grab it. And I, oh, can I just tell you how much? I, oh, so sorry. Go ahead. Say that again. No, no I said, I, uh, go ahead. There's something more on my side. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say I really appreciate suboptimal so much mm -hmm. because I can uh, be a stick-waving, punishing school mm -hmm. mom about my self-development. So suboptimal mm -hmm. is so freeing. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. There's a book uh, by Jim Collins, um, Good is the Enemy of Great. Oh, that's great. So it really is, is that we get stuck in the good, but that stops us from the great. And a lot right. of people are in the bad, you know, you can't go from bad to better. You can just go from bad to good. And once you're at good, then you can get to better. So definitely suboptimal is a powerful framework to look yeah. at your life. That's really cool. Um, you said something when you were talking about the, um, the Me Too movement and how it's, oh, um, oh, I know what I want to say is the, you know, uh, that's one of the things you keep mentioning the word blinders. And that's, that was a, in my transformation, that was something that I was struggling with on my face, trying to rip the blinders off mm -hmm. and then they would grow back and then I would rip them off again and then they would grow back. So I really, yeah, ripping is not good. Right. Ripping is, ripping is like that diet where you stop eating everything all at once and you do it for seven to 10 days and you look, lose four pounds and you're like, ah, I hate this. And start eating again gain back six it's like no build a build a practice in your life of deliberateness build a practice of communication yeah. be good to yourself be soft you know be deliberate with your practices like i am doing something called intermittent fasting i am too is, i just oh, started yeah. two weeks ago and i love it oh it's amazing it's amazing so intermittent fasting is 16 hours for me 16 hours me of too. no eating yep. eight hours of eating and are you about to where, eat at 12? Are you about uh, to eat at 12? Uh, right after this, I'm free. Yeah. I'm free to eat. Yeah, Me exactly. too. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 11, 730 to 1130. Um, oh, I do. I, I do. I do 12 to 8. But anyway, okay, yeah. Perfect. Um, and there are times when it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm starving. And so I eat. And okay. I miss that day. So you're being softer with yourself. See, I... This is so amazing that you brought this up because I'm literally mm. in week two. How far in are you? Third month. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so you're a pro. Okay. So you're being softer with yourself and that makes me kind of want to cry because I should be softer with myself, right? Like if I'm starving, but mm -hmm. sometimes I have to say though, sometimes I'll be starving and then I'll do something because, you know, food isn't what I'm doing. So I'm going to write this email instead. And then the starving goes away. I have to say mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Totally. And, you know, you only understand life from hindsight looking back. Right. You know, so it's a good practice. And the difference of I'm just starving. Let me drink a glass of water. Right. Oh, I'm no longer starving. Yeah. To, you know, I'm actually... Uh, feeling a little lightheaded because I yeah. haven't eaten. I didn't right. eat well the night before. Okay, I'm going to let go of this 16-hour period, eat eat something healthy, and then take care of myself and re-up for tomorrow. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't self-flagellate. Be kind to yourself in your practice. Yeah.
I should probably put the whips on eBay. <laughs> well, you know, they might have other uses, you know, like, you know, but not self-flagellation. <laughs> um, okay. So, oh, I know what I wanted to say also is that some people, what do you say to the people? Because I have, I, I still have people in my life who have, who dealt with abuse when they were children um, or rape and they mm. don't want to take the blinders off. They don't want to dive into that. They don't want to look at that and they don't want anyone else to look at it either. So it's a, it's thwarting intimacy because, but because they're afraid of drowning in that pain. So mm-hmm. what do you say to those people? What tips do you have for them to s- soften, open up? I say stay exactly who you are. Don't change unless you mm-hmm. want to. And we're, wow, moved by, we're moved by inspiration or desperation. You listen to a podcast. You read a superhero book about after your heartache. You get inspired. And you're like, okay, I want, I want to deal with this childhood wound. I want to deal with this sexual trauma. Or, you know, you've just left your third relationship in, you know, a year with an amazing person. And you figure out the common denominator is you. And you're like, okay, I want to work on this. That's the point of desperation. Then go work with it. But if you're, if you're not interested in changing your status quo, if your status quo is acceptable to you, then I would recommend don't do it until you really feel. That's now, these crazy. changes can be really minute. Like I'm not, it doesn't, it's not all or nothing. It could be like, uh, you know, in terms of weight loss, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to drink four glasses of water a day or I want to go to the gym once a week or take a walk every single day for 15 minutes. Like we're not talking, it has to be drastic. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to change and is bugging you, then you have to look at, who you're choosing as your life partner. Why are you magnetizing these people into your life? What's the benefit? Like you said, the liar enabled me not to be intimate and then make decisions for you in your own life. Right, right. So it's one of choice. Again, it's confronting. It's one of choice. It's one of awareness and then making deliberate choices from there. Yeah, I like that you're recontextualizing the word confronting, front and center. Bring it up, bring it up front confront bring it up front so that we can look at it together mm-hmm. with yeah, an open most, heart most people just push their their dark side their negative feelings their jealousy their anger into what's called the shadow the shadow is part of our system that's you know we don't confront it's i talk about of, the know, shadow a lot in this podcast right. and Perfect. in my book yeah yeah so we push into the shadow and guess what guess what runs us the things we don't confront so yeah. for me, um, I confront everything. Morgan and I, my wife, we, we confront everything. That's what makes our relationship so much fun and so challenging. From the most minute little thing, you know, something I said to, you know, the, the funnest things and the darkest thing. And so it's, we bring everything to the forefront. We bring everything to be unhidden so it no longer controls our relationship. And it, it adds to a lot of uh, motion in our life. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful and fun. Okay. Tell us about Tough Love, your podcast. I've been doing Tough Love for three and a half years. It started off as I was uh, really tired of running workshops, which I'd done for 12 years at that point. And so I still had a lot to say. So I did a six hour, six episode pilot in my uh, house in Venice Beach with wooden floors and no microphone. <laughs> the sound quality was awful. And it's just continued. 
And the concept of tough love is the things that you uh, don't necessarily want to say or hear, the thing that you want to kind of push away, it may burn when you hear it in your chest, it might burn in your soul as you say it, but all of a sudden after it relaxes, you have so much more intimacy. Tough love you get from great coaches. You know, maybe I had a great high school teacher, Mr. Jacobitz, taught us American history, great high school teacher. I had great coaches. I had great teachers. Those are the ones who told me the truth, the tough truth that had me ex expand and explore. So for me, with permission, with consent, to my students and my, my clients, and through the podcast, I just say it like I mean it, and I say it straight up. And some people hate it, but most people say, huh, thanks for being that transparent. Thanks for being that unhid. It's definitely a, um, I'm going to be doing an event with Jen Paslov. I don't know if you've read her new book on being mm. human, which is a great book. You'll love it. Mm. Um, because, but she is a queen of, of transparency and just mm. saying it like it is as well. It's definitely a really, I think it's a really healthy trend right now so that people mm. don't feel like those ugly parts. First of all, that's what I loved about, I did the landmark forum too. And that was my, mm. one of my favorite things about the landmark forum, other than the conversation about integrity, which I still carry with me to this day. Mm. That I loved that we are all, we all have our ugly bits inside. We all have those places of ourselves that we, mm. that we don't want anybody else to see. And you can relate to everyone's no matter what their background is. And if mm -hmm. you, ha I mean, it's because uh, as Debbie Ford, who I studied with uh, shadow mm -hmm. work, that the thing that we have, we have all of that inside. So even if you mm -hmm. haven't had the experience of, of being abusive or something like that, you can understand the abusive person. Like we all mm -hmm. have that abuser inside of us, whether it's come out or not. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you're doing that. It's, it's such important work. It's so great. Thank you. All right. So I've, is there anything else that you would like to say to everybody to tell them about you and your work? We'll, we'll, put, the, we'll put the links to Tough Love and to your, to your website and to your book on on the podcast notes, but is there anything else that you feel like they, I haven't asked you that they need to hear? I tend to try to say this in every podcast. Like I come from the belief that all is perfect. <sighs> my, my teacher was, uh, was a guy named Victor Barranco and he created a place called more, which taught about this concept of perfection. And he flashed on the viewpoint that everything was perfect to this point in his life. The good stuff, the neutral stuff, the ugly stuff, all those things were service of his evolution. And we tend to think that life isn't perfect. And perfect mm -hmm. includes the propensity for change. So you, if you're spending a lot of time beating yourself up, self-flagellating for, for anything that's not happening, guess what? You're losing energy to create the life you do want to go from suboptimal to optimal. So my, my, my shout out is always, you're doing it right, you're amazing, and you can do it better. And so for me, it's just a reminder that you're perfect and perfect includes the propensity for change. That's so great. Oh my God. I'm so glad you articulated that. That is awesome. Mm. And I really needed that today. Thank you. There you go. My <laughs> pleasure. My pleasure. All right, Rob, thank you for coming on to the Superhero of Love podcast. I, I'm just so happy that you're out there doing the work that you're doing. Great. Thank you so much. Pleasure. That was Robert Kandel. Go to robertkandel.com and you'll find all of his links out to his book, to his podcast, to all of his workshops and work that he does and ways that he can help you in your life. Oh my God, what a great guest. 
And uh, if you like this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Subscribe to it. Share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it and bring more superheroes of love into the fold, which is only a wonderful, beautiful thing. Thanks for coming today. Bye, superhero.